So go ahead and turn to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, and that's where we're going to be going out of, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. Um, but before we go there, I just want to give you an encouraging story that I love to tell. Um, been in Sudan for um, coming up on nine years, and one of the first times I went there. So no, the first time I went there was not when I was seven years old. Um, but anyways, I know I look that that, that way. Um, but anyways, I went there, and the first time I went there, um, went to to teach through one and two Timothy and Titus to these pastors. And I started teaching, and I, and I was like, well, is it my weird southern accent that they're not getting? Am I just not articulating? Which is also a good option there. Um, or, or, or what's going on here? Because they weren't really following with what I was saying. And um, a guy in the very back, he, he stands up and he goes, uh, um, Professor! Professor, and I was like, a hey, great, 21-year-old professor, probably not here at least. I know there are, they do exist, but... Um, so anyways, um, I'd realized that, number one, they hadn't ever even heard of 1 or 2 Timothy. They had never heard of Titus. They didn't know what I was talking about. So I kind of backed up a little bit. I was like, anybody here heard of Moses? And, nope, nobody. Anybody here heard of, of Adam? Nobody. And... Um, so that's when this guy stands up and he goes, he says, professor, professor, and he says, he goes, I've been teaching out of this, and he pulls out the book of John, it was just shredded, you know, and he goes, I've been teaching out of this for the last 16 years, and he was so pumped, he was so excited, and then I told him, I was like, and there's 65 other books and not only that, we got the Bible in your language for you. And and so, anyways, uh, of course, they did the, the 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 much better thing than I fear what would normally happen in the West, with it, which is a uh, equating stoicism with maturity, uh, unfortunately. And um, and, and so <laughs> they took these Bibles and they split out of the classroom and they started dancing around for over an hour. They were just going nuts, you know, and they loved it. And I just pray that you would be encouraged by that. I, I've told that story so many times before, and a lot of times how people take away with that is, man, I don't read my Bible enough, I'm just terrible, I'm de-. well, that's egotistical, it's just self-centered. And, um, and, and so that's not the point of what I'm saying here, I'm saying be encouraged by their celebration. Be encouraged that the Lord has given you the gift of the Word. Be encouraged that you can still open up the text and, and engage God in a, in a great way. You see, those, the, the, there's two separate deals there. One is, is a self-loathing that leads to self-righteousness, that leads to pharisaicalism. And the other one is, a, is letting His kindness crush you by their appreciation for the Word. And maybe you do have that appreciation. Join in with it. If you don't, let their appreciation teach you. And use that as a joy-filled response to dig into the Word today. So I just wanted to tell you that. Um, and so when I get into the text, so, so sometimes what I do is, um, is what they did. And right when they got the Bible, like I couldn't even go back to 1 and 2 Timothy and start teaching there because they were doing this. You know, I'm not trying to say venerate the Word, you know, and, and things like that because... 
the Bible is pretty clear in John 5, you know, where um, it tells the, the Jews, you know, you, you search the scripture because you think that in them is life, but you fail to come to me. So I'm saying only use the words as a means um, to the end of God engaging God, being engaged by God. But appreciate the word today, I hope. Um, so starting in verse 14, he says this, um, Paul does, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Let me stop there real quick because I want you to see that 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 control there, this this love that controls. It's in the usage there. It's this is a reactionary control. It's you've been acted on first, and so therefore this is a reaction. I heard one guy explain it. This one professor, this one way. It's kind of like if you'd stick your knee up and somebody had hit your reflex. You know, hopefully they wouldn't be standing in, or <laughs> nobody would be standing in front of you because your knees gonna go flat. You know, and stuff. And so it's, it's this reactionary love. Why? Because you've been acted on. And so for, for the love of Christ controls us. Controls us because there's this one conclusion. That one, that being Jesus, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. You get that? One has died for all. Therefore, all have died died and he died for all here's the reason that those who might live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised i really pray that you see that this compelling love leads to two types of people, right? That's what he's talking about here. There's two types of people. There's the walking dead and the walking living. That's it. That's it. It's, it's, it's not this thing of that there's, that, that we need to have so many other rankings, that so many other places are more strategic or less strategic that we go to, anything like that. There's, it's either sitting right next to you no matter what is eternity, which is somebody that is an eternal being, which is a stunning reality to me. Because if you look at that person right next to you, and then you realize... That somehow God has, because he, uh, obviously he's the most precise being ever, right? And so, because of that, somehow he's placed you today right next to that person. And it can be so easy to walk right by people over and over and not give a rip about them. Or, maybe you do and you need to celebrate that. Right? Maybe you do have this deep burden for people and you've just been controlled by a, I just need to have a deeper burden. I need to have a deeper, well, why don't you celebrate that he's given you a burden and then use that celebration as a way to go out and talk to people. So, um, so anyways, he's, he's saying this reality that, that the love of Christ compels us and because his love compels us, there's only two types of people, the walking dead and the walking living. And so I wanted to give that as, as an introduction to, um, to missions, and, and I want to give you guys a definition of missions. Here's where I'm going to go. I'm going to give you a definition of missions. I want to give you the, the biblical basis for why I find this definition, and then just three quick um, outcomes of having this view. Okay, so that's where we're going to go so that you see that. Um, so here's my definition of, of missions. It's one sentence, so but it's, it's fairly long in typical preacher form. You know, like, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you uh, two, two points today, and you know, and so some people are like, yes, 
problem is that the first one's got 18 sub points and the, the second one's got 36 and so we'll get out of here by 2 p.m. And so some people are like, dang. All right. So, so anyways, that's, that's not the case. But anyways, here's, here's a longer sentence. So here's my definition of missions and it's this. To proclaim and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ where the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. That's my definition, so I'm going to keep going through this so you don't have to sit there and go like, please don't, just go on. Okay, so it's to proclaim and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ where the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. One of the biggest devastations, one of the biggest mistakes in missions is to mainly make missions about myself or even what I'm doing. It's a huge, huge mistake. Okay, so hopefully we'll be able to articulate this in a proper enough way where we don't do that. And so it's, it's to proclaim, if you, if you make a left in your Bible um, to Romans chapter 10, um, the need for proclamation is so, so, so important. I've found, I've found so many times where the end ends up being social justice. It ends up being this thing of where, okay... Orphanages are good in and of themselves, are good enough in and of themselves, but the Bible just doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that an orphanage is good enough. I mean, seriously, if, if you'd be standing up to the creator uh, of everything, and on the day of judgment, all of a sudden, I came to him and I was like, God, look what I've done. Check out these orphanages. Look at how great these are. And he's over there going, did, did you think about me? Did you? It's by me and to me and through me that are all things, right? So why forget me? And it happens all the time. So, so to proclaim, um, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's this need for proclamation. It's, it's to proclaim and to live out. If you make a right in your Bible over to James chapter 2, um, right past the book of Hebrews, um, I... This need to, to, to live out. Um, starting in verse 17 of chapter 2 on James, it says, So also, also faith by itself, it, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you, you have faith and I have works. Do we not hear that all the time? I mean, there's, there's also a lot of folks that will be, they'll be like, their buck against, so to speak, social justice is, no, they only need the gospel. They only need Jesus. And, and I agree with that, but what they mean by that is that all I need to do is stand in front of them and articulate some salvation message, and that's it. That's all they need. They don't need anything else. It's just an awful view of God, really. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So here's what James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one, you do well. 
So there's this idea of belief. And he goes on and he says, even the demons believe and shudder. So what we're told here is it's, it's not a minor miss to not live out the reality of who Jesus is. But why is that? It's the reality because Jesus, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the, the, the Holy Trinity is an ever-giving God. That's why. That's why we live out. That's why we express. That's why we go and, and we're all about the redemption reality is because God is an ever-giving God. Do you know how bad it shows of a God that you proclaim that He's all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-in-control, and then we don't express this God through a holistic life? It just doesn't make sense. Okay? And so, there's a huge... It's like there's this large buzz of... Like, this buzz terminology of holistic ministry and stuff. And, And I agree with that. I'm all about that. Absolutely, um, but the, the problem is is that a lot of times it comes from a false view. What they mainly mean by holistic ministry is I'm going to do a whole lot of outward actions. I'm going to try to meet a whole, a whole lot of needs and then kind of slip Jesus in the back door. I'm not saying that. We can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a deceiver. Okay? We need to be upfront with who Jesus is because of His intense love for people and His intense love for the Father and the Holy Spirit and this redemptive reality. That's why we live this out. That's why. It's because of who He is. So it's to live out. And it's the, so we proclaim and live out this gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, my guess is that you guys hear the gospel here a lot. And one of my one of my fears in the, in the states that can that can happen is twofold. Um, one, people that have heard the gospel a lot, they start to take the gospel for granted, and we don't realize that a large, major majority of the world has never heard it once, let alone have the ability to take it for granted. Right? I mean, if we think about that, it's it's pretty stunning. And just so you know, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm just saying, this reality of you guys hearing the gospel week after week, don't let it lull you to sleep. Let that one eternal reality allow for an infinite amount of expressions. You see that? If we're mainly about relationship, right? Because it's not even mainly about praxis or practicing and stuff like that. It's mainly about relationship, Right? First and foremost with God and then with others. This is the first and second greatest commandment. If, if we are about that reality of truly engaging and being engaged by God, we're naturally going to express who He is. It's only, but, but it's because of who He is, not because I need to prove anything is what I want you to see. And so this gospel reality that we're talking about, I pray that when you hear it, you don't start to shut down or even take it for granted or even go, you know, bro, heard it, heard it. I know Jesus. You know, I've I've been around a decent amount of Christians, even that. And again, this probably is not you guys, which I hope it's not. But um, where they'll come with this mentality of like, okay, we know the gospel. Now what? 
how dare you present the gospel? And fr- do you think I'm that simple-minded? Is almost how it comes off to some people. Now, again, not saying that's you, but I'm sure you know some people that are that way. And so, love them with everything in Jesus, please. Um, but but it's it, this definition is to proclaim to live out this gospel of Jesus Christ. And the end part is where the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. Um, Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says the kingdom of God is at hand. We're coming from this reality of the kingdom of God is that it's not just something that's out there. The kingdom of God was already started, already inaugurated, whatever terminology you want to use, whenever Jesus came. We're part of this kingdom age. And why is this so big? Because even here, if you listen or if you watch some fairly, in my mind, fairly funny, hilarious kind of certain cable television programs, um, that, that have uh, certain um, religious connotations and stuff like that. Um, a, a lot of the things that will be said is almost, "Hey, let's talk about, let's talk about the rapture. Let's talk about getting you scared. Let's talk about all the horrific things that are happening. Does this earthquake mean this? Does this?" I'm not saying we shouldn't look into that. Here's the, here's the problem, though. That is. It's, it's almost like this picture is painted of Jesus of, please don't, it's getting worse and worse. Just don't come back, right? Because it's so terrible that Jesus is coming back. I want to have this certain amount of fear in me. Oh my goodness, the end is coming. The end is coming. The end is coming. Whenever that's not the disposition of Jesus, he's saying, I've set eternity in you. I've set this redemptive reality in you. And so that you go out and you proclaim and you say, the end is coming. The end is coming. Okay, so, so what's one of the practical outworkings of that? Some people will say, is, is the world getting better and better or worse and worse? The answer to that, of course, is yes. Right? It is. Absolutely. There's, it's getting worse and worse, without a doubt. But Jesus, whenever he stamped in, brought in, inaugurated in, put the stake in the deal of coming down and bringing in the kingdom, ever since that time, what you also have is you've got all of perfection, all this redemptive reality. Because right, God hasn't given up on the earth, of course. He hasn't given up on people. He's not just going to sit here and just boom, throw, you know, blow up the earth, and then we're going to be some kind of ethereal beings up in heaven. It's, we're not saying that, and just so you know, I'm not trying to say that as a bad dig on people either, because being trite and being haughty stinks. So, I'm not saying that, but but in this reality, what what we have is that Jesus is coming in, and the reality of Jesus, His total control, who He is, is going to redeem all of creation. So you have perfection breaking in. He who has ears to hear, hear. He has eyes to see, see. Right? We beg God, let me have eyes to see, let me have ears to hear. God, you are redeeming all of creation. You've made me part of that kingdom reality. Now show me how to live that out. That's really hope filled. Then I dig in my Bible and I'm like, God, how are you making me part of this kingdom? How have you already started this kingdom? But also, you've made me a participator in the kingdom. I'm not the one that brings the kingdom to people. It's not that the kingdom wasn't already there, right? The kingdom of God is breaking in. He's working in people's lives. 
Everywhere. And so he's called us in. It's to proclaim, to live out this gospel of Jesus Christ, where the kingdom of God, and again, the reason why I put in there, has not yet been fully realized, is because it will be fully realized whenever he comes back the second time. That's when it will be fully realized, when he renews all of creation. So, that's my definition. I want to give you three outworkings of that. Number one. Missions is a lifestyle of expressing Him, not mainly a thing to do. It's a lifestyle of expressing Him, not mainly a thing that I do. Let me give you an example, and I hope you're encouraged by uh, an 11-year-old orphan in Sudan. Um, his name's Lugo, and uh, was there a couple years ago, and I had a broken hand. And over there, um, the orphans call me Papa and stuff, and so he comes up to me and he grabs on my arm and stuff. He's like, Papa, Papa, what happened to your hand? What happened to your hand? And I said, you know, I broke my hand and broke my hand going, um, uh, what are you, going tubing, you know, on, on a leg is the only time I've done it. I'm never doing it again. It's awful. I, I think that that whole deal is from Hades. Um, but, but anyways, trying to explain tubing to a kid that's in the middle of Sudan that's never seen that before. We weren't going there. So anyways, that was a rabbit trail if you didn't catch on to that. But anyways, my hand's broken. I said, I broke my hand. And he said, I want to tell you two things. His 11-year-old, again, 11-year-old whose parents were blown up by a landmine. Do you see the pain? 11-year-old parents got blown up by a landmine and he comes to me and he says Papa, Papa number one, I'm going to pray for your healing and number two, it's because when our Papa hurts we all hurt of an 11 year old he didn't sit there and say you know what, your broken hand that's so ridiculously insignificant. How about my parents? He didn't have that disposition. He had such a care, such a kingdom reality. He understands the kingdom in such a way that he has this redemptive song coming out of his mouth and he's all about encouraging me in Jesus. We can't say that that's not missions. It's a lifestyle. And it's not just this reality of going to another place. I've seen this so many times where we make a God out of location, right? Like it's as if, here would be an example, as if it'd be more significant for one of you to get up out of here and go over to Dubai and work in Starbucks in a Dubai because it's a predominantly Muslim area. And for some reason, that becomes more significant than being here in Champaign. Champaign, Urbana, I don't know where we're at. So, Illinois, there, wherever we're at. Um, so, or if that's two thing, two at the same time, good deal. I still didn't figure that out. But um, as, if, as if it's more significant to be over there than here. And the problem is, is that neither one is more significant than the other. They just are both infinitely significant. Amen. 
It's this reality that you go and you walk down the street and you're walking by the walking dead every day of your life. And Paul says, do you, you smell the aroma of death or life? That's what he says. So I'm not trying to be a person that's trying to, so to speak, give you excuses to stay here or give you excuses to leave. It's just not the point. Because it's not mainly about location. It's mainly this matter of participating in the kingdom, understanding that missions is a lifestyle of expressing Him, not a thing that you do. Number two, there's a great invitation, I believe, in missions to go, ex- to go participate in the kingdom. There's this great invitation, and, and, and this invitation is a great gift. Okay, I just got back from India, one of the places that... Um, we're looking to expand into, and we're down in this train station. I guess over, from what I've been told, over a million people a day go through this one train station. Unbelievable. We've been there, and I was just like, this is a sea of humanity. It was awesome. And so there's like 23 different platforms for these trains. Trains. Each uh, Each platform is owned by a different gang, so they've got this gang wars that are going on. You've got a huge amount of runaway kids and kids that have been orphaned and stuff that, that live here that are um, were, they, they huff on glue. They've been um, passed around and sold to different gangs and different folks like that for sexual favors and things. And we heard about this girl who's 15 years old. No, she's 14 years old. And she, 14 and she already had 15 known miscarriages, most of them from rape. Is there hope for her? Is, it, is, is that a true reality, though? Is there really hope for her? In, in India, one of the things is um, sex slavery is a big deal, and... One of the, we're in the outside of a brothel. A brothel is a place where they've got just a mess load of girls that have sex with all these guys and stuff. And um, just horrific places. And one of the things that I found out is that an underage girl there goes for ten times the amount of an of-age girl. It's expected that an underage girl will have sex anywhere from 10 to 12 times an hour for 12 hours a day, six days a week. Is there hope for? Houston, Texas is one of the largest importers for modern day slaves in the world. It's huge here. Undoubtedly, you've got hundreds here. Champaign-Urbana, undoubtedly. Is there hope for them? Not an impersonal hope, not a, yeah, 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 Jesus can do that, but is there such a hope driven in you? Is there such this Ephesians 3, 7 that Paul had, that the gospel is such a gift, ministering is such a gift that you're using that to compel you to go reach out to people? And here's one of the biggest things that I think we need to notice. Really, there's not a whole lot of difference between that girl that has had 15 miscarriages and probably you. 
and probably me. If you root it down to a lot of the core realities, there's not a lot of difference. Every single one of you has struggled with an intense amount of pain. Every one of you has been rejected. Every one of you has been used. We don't need to be getting in this ranking thing of I've been more used than you. It happens one time and that's an eternal devastation. And he says, I've got hope for you. Number three, and then I'll be done. How about that? No sub points. <laughs> um, start praying because of this definition of missions to, to proclaim and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ where the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. And because of the Matthew 28 mandate, um, go therefore, right? Start praying more, should I stay, not should I go? He's already sent you. You don't need to be sent anymore. But I wonder how it would look if we started praying, God, you, you've, you've sent me, do you, are you, do you want me to stay? Because I think he'll confirm if he wants you to stay. But maybe we've been praying in a wrong way. Because he's already saying, I've sent you. Go. Go. Here's your charge. So with this Matthew 28 reality, maybe it's a matter that you need to start praying, should I, should I stay? And if it is, go. Start coming in underneath the leadership and saying, where do I go? And just so you know, everybody's called to go when you walk out of those doors. Well, even, I, I even retract that. Everybody's called even when you're in here. So it's, right, I've been made a fallacy there. Got a location, right? It's, it's not just a matter of going out there. So to proclaim, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, this, this love that compels us, this reality that there's only the walking dead, there's only the walking living, this reality that I shouldn't be enamored, I shouldn't be lulled to sleep by the materialism of Western culture, and I should only ask God, God, give me a nose and eye, give me a nose to, to smell, is, is this person, do I smell death, do I smell life, do I, is that the reality? No matter where I'm at, if it's in this materialistic culture, because we've been lulled to sleep. We've let ourselves be lulled to sleep, right? We're not victims here. We've chosen that. So are you going to live out in such a way where you live out the kingdom, you participate in the kingdom here, or in some other culture? Either way, we win. <laughs> we win. And He's called you. And so the reality being, what does that specifically and uniquely look like in your life? Let me pray. Papa, I thank You for who You are. Um, I thank You that it's Your love that compels us. That it's not duty. It's not anything that we need to do to prove to You. But that You overflow us with such a fullness in You that You've given us the opportunity to go and express who you are as a way of thanksgiving for what you've already done in our lives. I pray that you would keep us far, far, far from temptation and deliver us from all evil. Lord, I pray for the people here today 
that have undealt with pains and horrific tragedies in their life. I pray that you, the great healer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would come and heal. Let them feel sorrow in such a godly way that only your supernatural comfort can come and meet them. I trust you for that because I've asked it according to your word. So, Jesus, it's by your powerful, powerful name I pray. Amen.